You're listening to the Set the Tone podcast with Anthony Manuel. Every week, I'll be talking to a new guest with a refreshing perspective on body, mind, and spirit to help you see the world and your life in a slightly different way. I hope these conversations inspire you and help set the tone for a new way of being. Set the tone with me is my good friend, Greg Jacoby. Uh, Greg and I met in Halifax, Nova Scotia through a mutual friend and have managed to stay in touch over that time. We've ended up working together. In fact, his company was one of the companies that helped build out No Filter as well. Uh, besides being you know, a, a web developing superstar, Greg has also started Project Mindfulness. And in general, is just one of my favorite people to talk to about the subjects of meditation, about balance in your life and your mind. And since this podcast has ended up being a podcast about, well, where I just kind of talk about thinking with other people, we're going to talk a little bit about mindful thought, about meditation and about, uh, you know, spiritual ego and a bunch of other cool, fun stuff that, uh, that we sort of pre-decided that we were going to talk about today. So, Greg, first... I'd love to know what Project Mindfulness is and what inspired you to start it. That's a good question, man. Um, and, and to be you know perfectly uh, honest to those who are listening or watching, it, Project Mindfulness has kind of become a, a tertiary focus for me, but it's something that I really want to return back to. And the reason is, is I... A little bit, a little bit of history about my my experience with meditation and mindfulness. When I first encountered meditation and mindfulness, I was really excited. But what also happened was that I was very rapidly introduced to a lot of really intense, mystical, esoteric, and secretive traditions. And there was a lot of excitement in that, a lot of interest in that. I had never really, I, I just, I had no um, experience with that sort of thing prior to that, and I was. I found it super interesting. It appealed to my um, my intellect, and but <clears throat> over time, and we can dive into this more later, Anthony. But over over a period of time, I realized that all of the secrecy was not helpful, and I was seeing it actually causing harm for the people who were engaging with it, and and also for me. And I really wanted to share what I had experienced about the practical nature of meditation and mindfulness and how it works in practical terms and how it can be practiced in practical terms. And so the, the, the motto of Project Mindfulness is radically accessible meditation and mindfulness. And that means, you know, not only in the way that the techniques are being described and imparted, but also in terms of um, logistical accessibility, you know, things are not expensive if they cost any money at all, um, you know, things like that. And we, we had a great time running a, a community of thousands. And, um, you know, since then I did have to refocus it on my career for, uh, for worldly reasons, but I am really looking forward to a time in my life when I can focus back in on it. So what you said about the, the lack of accessibility within the sort of mystical, presentation of, of meditation because a lot of meditation practices when when at least westerners think of meditation it evokes some sort of images of india or buddhism and zen and and monks sitting on cushions for hours at a time and there is this sort of 
otherworldly, if not other cultural element to it. But I mean, meditation is a universal practice. So what are what are some of the ways that you think meditation is being made inaccessible to people uh, in, in its presentation and its practice? Anthony, that's a really good question. I think that I mean, we can start even with the with the the most abstract basics. I think that even the connotation that the word meditation and mindfulness have developed in at least in Western society, um, like you said, just kind of immediately invokes a thought of something that if feels distant, even for me. I've been practicing meditation for like, I don't know, 10 or 11 years now. Even when I think or say the word out loud, I feel this weird kind of like there's this bit of a bit of awkwardness around it. And I think that people um, in general associate a lot of the terminology that's thrown around in regards to meditation and mindfulness with, um, you know, individuals who have very strong belief systems. And these belief systems can be difficult to penetrate and also can kind of act as a barrier for those who are interested in understanding what meditation and mindfulness really are. You, it, it might come along with um, a belief in a deity or um, a certain type of practice of morality, for example. Morality is a great one. Every spiritual tradition that I'm aware of also um, suggests a certain degree of moral and ethical living. But what quickly happens in these traditions is that these guidelines that are meant to support your meditation practice become dogma. Mm -hmm. And the organizations and traditions which are built around the practice itself become dogmatic. And individuals who are um, kind of pushing forward these organizations and prolonging the life of these organizations often will develop some very solidified beliefs about how certain things should be done, how one's life should be lived. And I feel that I've come to very profound, um, let's call it belief, ironically, that <laughs> there is such a wide spectrum of the human experience and that to that 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 meditation and mindfulness, these are things that can be practiced by anyone and that there are guidelines to help you practice these things to allow you to see more clearly the benefits of these practices but they are not meant to be used as um to to be leveraged religiously because as soon as those things solidify you lose the ability to see the world as a spectrum and you start seeing it in black and white and when i i don't believe that there is such thing as black and white in this world right so with with taking the ethical complications and, and these dogmatic structures or the, the necessity of belief in a deity away from it, if you were going to describe the practice of meditation in simple terms, because I have my own simple explanation of, of what meditation is, but I'd love to know what what if you were gonna like give an elevator pitch of like, well, what is actually meditation? If you're gonna take away some of the 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 <laughs> the loaded the loadedness off of the term itself and just make it as down to earth as possible. How would you describe mm -hmm. what meditation is as a practice? I've, I've definitely gone through a few like two sentence explanations before. Like there was something that I would have said a few years ago, something I would say now, 
I think that that for me, it is the process. It is it is meditation is a conscious examination of the nature of our experiences. Mm. And that that conscious examination requires the cultivation of presence. And that's, I mean, yet, yet another loaded term, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. My, my, last, my last podcast was actually an hour and a half discussion about how we should define the word presence and, and what a loaded <laughs> word that is. Because it, yeah. it means nothing at all when, when used, again, in a mystical sort of state that points to this otherworldly state of being, but presence, you know, it, it needs it needs a pretty clear definition. So so what I'm hearing is you're you're sort of observing the nature of your own experience, and you're doing it in a way that is undistracted. And that was sort of the the the, the synonym that we came up with for presence was was undistracted or at least focused in on the 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 experience that is happening within, like right in front of you, so to speak. Right, right. Within this mind body conglomerate. Um, yeah, exactly. And, you know, from the, the and, and that that's an, an evolving process, right? It is a practice. It is something that has to be practiced. And when you do start to consciously examine the nature of your experiences and you do it um, continuously and uh, to a certain degree systematically, um, you do start to develop the habits of being present. And what comes along with the habit of being present is that your ability to allow things to come and go becomes much greater. Mm. So your ability to be present and while present have a thought come in that maybe has some stickiness to it, but you're able just to let it pass through. And there is a, a tremendous transformation that starts to happen when we start to cultivate the ability to let go. Hmm. So the, the, the notion of letting go is, is an interesting one because that's also, I find, can be an ambiguous term, right? We can hmm. still have these thoughts and we can feel these emotions um, yes. and use the term stickiness. What would you say makes a thought sticky? What's that? If you could dive into the since you're, since we're observing the quality of our consciousness, the quality of our experience. When you're observing that a thought or an experience has the quality of stickiness, how would you dive in and explain that more? Yeah, that's such a good question, Anthony. And I'm so glad that we're talking about this because, um, you know, actually, I, I think that, <clears throat> gosh, man, there's so much confusion about this stuff. And for me, I spent years being confused about these things. I probably still have some confusion about it. Lord, Lord only knows, right? We'll talk in three years about the same thing, and I'll be like, damn, man, I was so misled. Um, <laughs> the, for me, um, when we experience something, anything, any type of phenomenon through the five sense doors, you have the, the physical sense doors, and you also have the mind. The thoughts and emotions are filtering in through the mind. When we experience anything, accordingly to the way that we are conditioned, um, there will be a habitual reaction to that experience and what happens in kind of the machine of the mind is that 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 reaction colors that experience so to speak so 
we whatever we experience, whatever that phenomena is, whether it's a sight or a thought or a feeling or a memory or a fantasy, we have this reaction. And through the filter of that reaction, we kind of store this 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 response to that experience. And that it, it might be very small. It might be infinitesimally small where we might not even really notice it happening. Or it might be something super crazy where um I don't know, you know, you go through a breakup and you can't stop thinking about it for six months because it's just you're just cycling through this this inner agony. Um, and so let's fast forward. Right. You've had the experience. You've had the response. And then let's say a thought about that past experience comes. And what comes along with that thought is the the little ball of habit that you've built around that thought. And so. We and I think a, a nice way that I had it um, taught to me many years ago was like it's like a the the experience itself is drawn in just a you know black, but then our response to it colors it in, and they're all there might be a little bit of color, there might be a lot, and so when an, a thought comes that has a lot of color attached to it, you you are habitually and because of your conditioning drawn in to engage with that thought or engage with that feeling or engage with that experience and and the reason that i keep using the word habitual is because it's not conscious it's like an addiction you are pulled into it and there is a strong draw to engage with it and often we just immediately just go down in there without even realizing it. And, and what's interesting about it is that it can really mask itself as free will in the same way that another addiction can, mm-hmm. where we feel the temptation to engage with the substance or whatever it might be. And we, we roll with that temptation, but we kind of trick ourselves into being like, yes, I have consciously made the decision to do this when it's really just this intense habit that has taken over, you know, in my personal experience with meditation, I think the biggest benefit that I did have was noticing how many of the thoughts that I was having were not born from a place of conscious intention. Like I wasn't actively choosing to think the thoughts that I was thinking. Um, my my own simple definition of meditation is to sit down and notice what you notice. Mm-hmm. As in you're, you're noticing things as you meditate, but then you're noticing the notice. It's just that extra it's sort of the metacognition and you're cultivating that metacognition of your own cognition and what i what i noticed through cultivating that is that the vast majority of my thoughts uh, seem to arise out of nowhere based on random firing of past events and when i when i realized that it was it was very easy for me to sort of realize that they were cuz ha- cuz before prior to meditating that was a state that I lived my entire life in where I would be walking through my life, a random thought would pop up and then I would ascribe all kinds of importance to it. And, and I I kind of was like a leaf in the wind within my own mind where any random thought could produce an emotion would produce, uh, you know, a meaning behind that emotion. And then I would be all over the place. So for me, the biggest, I think the biggest benefit of meditation was realizing that, oh, no, actually, most of these thoughts that I have, I or my sense of I is not generating consciously. And once, once in, in a weird way, it was like, you, you brought up this idea of like free will and, and the thought that these thoughts or these emotions or these meanings are generated from a place of free will 
while it can feel a little destabilizing to think that most of your thoughts are not generated from a source of free will, it's actually very liberating to realize that because yes. you can you can have that layer of metacognition that's looking back at these random thoughts and say, okay, these are happening. Do I have to put any meaning to them? Do I have to identify with them or give them importance in this particular moment, in this particular context? I'm looking around at my kitchen and I'm sitting here cutting vegetables. Do I really need to be stressing out about an argument that I had three years ago? <laughs> That's the question, man. Yeah, exactly. No, I think, you know what? And, and it, I, I, I love, I love that because it's kind of why I've fallen in love with the word habit, because for me, there was this this tortured process and it still occurs to some degree. Absolutely. For me, where, you know, the, the, these thoughts would come and then there's metacognition about the thoughts and what comes with that metacognition about the thoughts is also judgment, judgment for having certain types of thoughts and wondering where these thoughts came from and like judgment about the nature of the thoughts. And it has been unbelievably helpful for me to realize that these thoughts that are, seem to come from nowhere are born from conditioned habits. They're all born from habits. And that's all they are. These, the, these, um, these thoughts which are just kind of happening on their own, these feelings, all these things, they're just habits. They're nothing more than habits. And there's a an experience that I had when I was little um, when I realized that chewing the inside of my cheek felt good. And I just started chewing the inside of my cheek all the time. And like, even if I do it now, like, like it still feels good. I can kind of feel the, the old pull to it, you know, even though I was like, I don't know, eight years old or something. And I remember at a certain point realizing like, holy shit, I am just chewing the inside of my cheek all the time and I should probably stop. Like it had completely lost any conscious will about it. I just was just fucking chewing on it all the time. And it's it's super innocent, you know, and I was also very young. It wasn't like there was some uh, weird thing going on in my head. It's just there's there's no substance to it. It's just a habit. And for us who have all kinds of thoughts, and, and I'm, I want to try to consider like a more extreme example because I think they're easier to identify with, um, let's say something like um, shutting down when we have an opportunity to be vulnerable in a conversation. And something like that could have evolved as a defense mechanism um, from growing up in a, a, a challenging environment. And so that that shutting down had an actual purpose when we were little. But we did it so often that it turned into a habit. And now that habit plays itself over and over again in our lives. And for me, recognizing that as a habit allows allows me to say, oh, okay, like this is totally impersonal. And it did come from somewhere. It came from a habit that was I, I consciously can realize it came from a habit that I can point to in my past, or maybe I'm not really sure exactly where to point. But it doesn't matter. The fact is, is, is it's a habit, and habits can be unwound, and habits are impersonal. That's it. I, I remember hearing a definition of habits, which are they're simply behaviors that are done unconsciously. They're, they're, they're things that you do without noticing that you're doing them or thoughts that you think without noticing that you're, you're thinking them. And as soon as you inject them with awareness or consciousness that they're there, well, then they're no longer a habit. Then they become within the realm of choice, right? And so 
I think we're kind of getting around to saying close to the same thing. Meditation in part is the practice of cultivating awareness. And if you can bring these habitual thoughts, habitual behavior patterns, habitual coping mechanisms within conversation into the light of uh, consciousness, you might not be able to change them in the moment, but you at least have, you, you put your foot in the door to be able to interrupt the pattern, so to speak. Yes, yes, yes. Interrupt the pattern. That's exactly it. And at first, you know, uh, again, uh, a, a simple example, obviously this can occur in so many different ways. You sit down to meditate on your breath, right? You meditate on your breath, intrusive thought comes about some crazy shit that happened in, in your life, really intense. And you think about it for like five minutes. And in that space of five minutes, you have like three seconds, three measly seconds in which you're just kind of feeling what's happening without being wrapped up in it, without feeling you're, you're just observing. And maybe it feels really freaking intense, but you're just observing. Maybe just three seconds in that five-minute period of agonizing over this memory. There, there you have it. You've interrupted that habit, and it's a process. And then you keep meditating. It comes back again. It comes back again and again and again and again and again. And eventually, that color, that deep, vibrant color of your perspective of this experience starts to get starts to fade, starts to get washed out. We start to get a more objective um, understanding of what's really going on there. And and as that happens, our our we 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 gain the ability to see things with more clarity and. For me, like, that's why I, I mentioned, you know, consciously examining the nature of our experiences is that when we do start to let go of things, kind of the, um, it starts to peel back the dust in front of our eyes. Because normally we're seeing things through so many layers of lenses. And, you know, we take a lens away, we take a lens away, we take a lens away. And we start to see really what's going on inside of us. And it's fascinating. It's fascinating. It's exciting. It's difficult. It's it's a it's an amazing experience. You know, the, the example of being struck by a sudden memory. There were there were a few things. I'm going to tie a few things that you said together throughout this podcast so far. You give this example of sitting down to meditate and meditating on your breath, which is to say, try to focus and notice all the sensations of the breath, the rising and falling of the chest, the feeling of air on your nose or wherever it is that you're breathing from, and then all of a sudden you're uh, assaulted by a memory that has a very intense emotional charge and a lot of feelings around it. And you also mentioned earlier that there, there can be a tendency of people to have that experience in meditation and judge themselves for having those thoughts. And one of the things that I found interesting is that judgment, in the same way that our thoughts can be conditioned habits, the judgment for having those thoughts can be a conditioned habit as well. Um, and that kind of goes back to the sort of dogmatism of ethics of you should be a certain way that kind of comes when you're meditating. It's this idea that you should be thoughtlessness or you should be embodying thoughtlessness or you should have a certain, you know, peaceful state of mind while you're meditating and if you're assailed by uncomfortable emotions and you're failing um one you know <laughs> there's there's i kind of want to get into that a little bit but one of the things that i found most useful when i kept is is noticing that i am judging myself 
and interrupting that as a pattern as well to yeah. say, wow, I'm really aggravated that I got aggravated there. And, and to just notice that, and then it's almost in, in just observing it, in experiencing it, that lets it go on its own. And then I can resume, you know, pinpointing my focus to where I want it to be instead of judging myself for, for having these distractions to just notice that I got irritated that I was distracted and yes. have that be the focal point of my meditation. It's noticing what you're noticing, right? So I noticed that I noticed my thought and then I noticed that I was angry about noticing my thought and then I just let it go. <laughs> Dude, Anthony, I mean, tell me about it, man. And then the judgment of the judgment of the judgment, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it, it's, it's turtles all the way down. It can just kind of just keep, uh, keep proliferating. And, um, I, I think there's a few components there for me. Like, first of all, reminding myself that it's okay. It's, it's all okay. And finding some, relaxation even when these thoughts that can be quite stressful are occurring it really is okay and the i i think that there's this really interesting for example in buddhism there are the factors of enlightenment and the idea of the factors of enlightenment is that they need to be present in order to become enlightened in buddhist terms and wow wow what a loaded term that is but just, just, just roll with it. Um, but a lot of people are familiar with these to some degree, and, and they end up showing themselves. You know, it's things like compassion and equanimity and concentration and energy. And and when these things are, are presented in a certain way, it really can lead to these this idea that we have to be a certain way in meditation. When hilariously, it's it's literally the opposite. When it's like we're just working to be with ourselves as we are, and but but it really does illustrate what a challenge that can be. What a challenge that can be because from a very very young age, we are taught directly or indirectly that being just okay with how we are as we are is not a very desirable thing. Hmm. That's what we get taught. We get taught that it it is. It is the right thing to do to constantly be chasing after a, 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 to be different than how we are or a different experience or to, you know, disassociate from what's present with ourselves now and, and hunger after a certain desire or al alternative experience. Um, and, you know, it, it's just. It is really challenging, Anthony. It is really challenging. And. I, I can't I can't stress it enough for me like I I just it, it's an evolving process of of being comfortable with how challenging these things can be and sometimes it's less challenging sometimes it's more challenging and being okay that the human experience is the human experience and that it's not something that med you you can't you cannot force change you cannot force transformation you cannot um, fight these this conditioning none of that works you can only accept and in acceptance cultivate the ability to let go it's only in acceptance that you can cultivate the ability to let go it doesn't happen any other way now i felt i felt some resistance to what you were saying there in that you can't force a transformation um which i don't necessarily disagree with the language of force right but i i have conditioning too where 
you know, from a very practical sense, my background was as a personal trainer. And what I found was you, you choose to act and behave in a certain way, as in you choose different actions and then you get different results, right? That said, I also realized that, you know, early into my personal training game that you can't just tell a person to eat certain things and work out and expect it to yield a result because there needs to be a, a, a transformation of mind, a transformation of the relationship to the body, to food, to energy, to all these different things. So on one hand, you're sort of, you, there, there's a paradox that you almost have to reconcile here, which is um, change on a physical level won't happen without external inputs. That's just a reality. And, you know, you're, yes. you're, you're, you're like, our, your business wouldn't build itself by accepting yourself as you are. Absolutely. Right? So, so if there's an external result that you want, then there needs to be some sort of external change. And sometimes it feels like you're forcing things to happen, as in you're, you're imposing your will on the world through your actions, your words, and your intentions. Conversely, though, what I think, you know, the inner transformations which meditation can produce cannot be forced. The state of mind which is aware of itself and aware of well just aware in general that that needs to be a process that is cultivated not through the pushing and the grasping of trying to uh, explain everything with thought and and ideas and concepts or even action you know meditation is almost like a non-action it's a passive observance. It's a it's a cultivation of just like being where you are and noticing what's happening where you are, and that is not something that. So 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 I guess the differentiation here is there are times where you need to externally act and ex you know it like exert yourself or your sense of self onto the world through action and through words and through conversations and relationships. Conversely, that inner transformation is not something that you you force you can't wrestle your own personality to the ground with that same personality you have to at least be aware of it and then develop and again this is the the, the concept of the metacognition kind of coming in where you have to be aware enough of your own patterns to recognize them first and foremost and then you have to have enough metacognition to interrupt the patterns of old behaviors or habits and personality you could just say is the ultimate habit your how you behave how you interact how you speak like that's the ultimate habit who you think of yourself as a person is in itself a habit it's it's the it's the composite yes. of all your habits possibly right so i just i wanted to i wanted to make that little bit of a differentiation there because i'm cautious of saying there's no transformation that happens outside of yourself to a degree well no not not that you can't force transformation um there is there is a place where the imposition of your own will results in in transformation or the result that you're looking for i think the 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 issue is that your own will will not be transformed without the cultivation of presence which is a passive process yes yes and i also really appreciate that distinction anthony i you know and it's a really interesting subject actually and it's something that i used to agonize over the idea of in the context of meditation how much effort should I apply and how should my effort be applied? And 
for those of us who have even meditated a little bit, I would make a guess that we have at some point kind of experienced the the feeling of like trying a lot, like really yeah. trying, you know, and, you know, for me, this can cause all kinds of headaches and uh, tension in the body and, and all kinds of things. But at the same time, on, on, on the flip side, if there is no energy or effort involved, it's not, it's not going to work. You know, it's a meditation. There is, there is a practice there, you know, whatever technique it may be, there is a practice that you do have to continue to return to throughout the, the process of your meditation. Um, whether it's sitting or just walking throughout your day. And, you know, for example, you know, using the a breath meditation, a sitting breath meditation as an example, you are making the, the practice, particularly at the beginning, the practice is noticing when you've left the practice and then coming back. And it's actually in the coming back that is that 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 habit interruption, right? And we're making a choice every single time to come back to the practice, right? And so, I mean, in a lot of ways, that is, we are, we are taking action to transform ourselves. But there, and it is, it's such a tricky balance, and it is unbelievably subjective, unbelievably personal, how to walk that line of trying too hard or not trying enough. And I think it's something that, you know, I really, I really want to invite those who are interested in practices like this to be aware of, because if you do notice that you're, you're experiencing a lot of tension in the body or in the face or in the head, that is a, a can be indicative that there is too much striving, too much trying happening. And that's okay too. And there are some techniques which are, um, maybe easier for those who tend to strive quite a bit. And I think, yeah, man, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of like making big changes. You know, I, I do that so often in my life. I'm like, all right, fuck this time to just mix everything up. I'm going to change everything about my life. And I think there's something really beautiful in that. And I guess, yeah, I mean, it's just it's the, the the concept of forcing, right? It is really subjective, really, really subjective. I think if you want to say force versus application of will, you know, um, there's that book Power versus Force by I think it's um, David Hawkins has has this distinction between power and and force. And power is the ability to, to apply your will without like needing to manipulate. Like, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing. I didn't read the whole book. I read. Uh, I read some of his other books and kind of got the gist of what he was trying to trying to get at. So forgive me if I'm if I'm getting this totally wrong for anyone who's listening who has read his book. But my my understanding is like force is something that you're sort of gritting your teeth and you're applying immense amounts of effort and you are grinding against your your natural inclination and your habits are. Uh, waiting for you at every corner and waiting for you to show a moment of weakness to take over completely and completely derail you. Whereas power is in its essence effortless. It's this ability to take action because you are so present and you are aware and your behavior is aligned with your intention. And this was sort of in the last conversation I had where we were trying to define 
presence was this state of of action whether that action be the uh, the observation of your breath or it's the application of doing work or having a conversation it's the closing of the gap between your intention and your behavior right and so the more there are these unconscious behaviors that are trying to take over and you're forcing yourself to push through these barriers that's that's force versus power is the 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 ability to stay present within your intention and to follow through on that action so those are the two distinctions for me and i find exploring the two distinctions in meditation very fascinating like if you do have a, an intrusive thought that comes up and you say no fuck this intrusive thought i'm gonna i'm gonna listen to my breath and shut up thoughts and you're like you're trying to force your attention back on while meanwhile you're still thinking about the work that you have to do later or you're thinking about the conversation with your partner or whatever versus power is noticing it and then generally just coming back to it because your intention was to stay on your breath it was the non-judgmental acknowledgement and the the return to alignment with your intentions that's that's the distinction for me yeah. and a cool way to explore the the distinction between those two within the context of meditation yes exactly exactly and that, i i do really like that phrase you know the application of your will and, and coming into aligning your intention with your behavior i really i like that a lot and that's not it's not to say that that process won't be uncomfortable right mm -hmm. and i think that's something that i've seen the two extremes of many 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 times is that on one hand i've met a tremendous number of individuals who have through some means or another associated the success of meditation with pain mm -hmm. so they they feel that unless they are very uncomfortable or like battling um, or, you know, burning up or whatever it might be, that they're not practicing properly. And on the other hand, I've met a tremendous number of people who are in the exact uh, other side of the spectrum where they feel that they're not experiencing some tremendous pleasure or bliss or whatever, then, then something's wrong. Mm. And, you know, again, like it's this, 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 non-judgmental flow through our experiences whether they are painful or pleasurable and that's where these factors of enlightenment come in because one of the things that i have come to realize and that is really important to me is in regards to the uh, cultivation of concentration concentration is a really important component of meditation hmm. but you can't force concentration to be cultivated it's actually and again example of the breath when we're distracted by a thought we come back to the breath if we keep doing that eventually concentration will arise naturally mm. the, the the your awareness will kind of just hook into the breath because we've started to train the mind okay nope just come back to the breath nope just come back to the breath just come back to the breath and when that type of concentration starts to get stronger and stronger these different sorts of experiences kind of just flow flow through like a river and when when we are so focused on achieving a certain state such as pleasure or if we're wrapped up in battling 
a certain state, such as uncomfortable thoughts, we're never um, giving ourselves space for these factors of enlightenment to arise, such as relaxation. Relaxation is necessary for concentration. Concentration is necessary for um, uh, expansion of mind. And again, this is all within the context of meditation techniques. I think it's really important to clarify that because often these things will be discussed and it will be taken like, oh, this is like a way of life. Like this is like a belief system that needs to be ascribed to. No, these are all just within the context of meditation. And moreover, they're within the context of my experience with meditation, mm. my personal experience with meditation. Um, but yeah, man, I, I mean, I think it was such a fucking mind blowing thing to me when I realized like, oh, the reason that these are factors of enlightenment is not because these are qualities that I have to build up over the course of my life or else I'm fucked. I'm going straight to hell. It's, it's actually that these things have to be present within any given moment in my practice of meditation in order for these deeper states of meditation to arise. And what I find too is one of the, you know, one of the things that you kind of brought up is like, you can't force concentration to happen. Right. But it is, is that one of the, the quote factors of enlightenment that needs to be present? Concentration. So, yes. So, so if, if concentration isn't something that can be forced, these factors of enlightenment are not something that you are actively or consciously trying to like force upon yourself in order to attain these particular states, they're almost, even though they're both, they're, they're, they're the, the paradoxical prerequisite and also effect of being in this state, the eventual sort of cultivation of them is a natural byproduct of you just noticing what you're noticing and to, to, to continually. So, so for me, I, you know, I've had, like you said, you've had, you've had many different definitions or simple definitions of um of what meditation is one of mine is noticing what you notice another one is the the art of starting again so if you're focusing on something how many times can you start again when you get derailed or how quickly can you start again or how gracefully can you just start again um and then over time it's also being able to so it's it's you're you're starting again as in you're going to bring your awareness back to your breath and then that attention sustains itself over longer so you're cultivating two skills you're cultivating the redirection of your attention and the sustained concentration of your attention both of them kind of happen simultaneously and a result of one another um but these are things that you don't force yourself to have these things it's not like lifting weights where you can force yourself to lift weights heavier and heavier until your, your muscle grows these are things that you just have to kind of or you have to you do have to put the reps in <laughs> you do have to go and you have to you have to do it it's that there is the effort there but it's not if you if you imagine yourself uh, being distracted and you're trying to force yourself to concentrate on writing an essay and the thought that keeps happening is I have to concentrate that thought of I have to concentrate is a distraction from the concentration itself. And that's where the forcefulness can end up being a thought loop that that sort of distracts you as well. That's where the force element of it, the the imposition of your will upon your will, will backfire, right? Yes. So where you're saying, so what I'm here, you know, what, what I've kind of gathered from this conversation so far is the, the cultivation of these things are automatic, um, even if, you, without, without necessarily, not with, with force, but with 
genuine effort to sustain attention, to sustain focus, and to remain as neutral as possible within these these states of intention and these states of focus. Yes, and that right there is what a lot of esoteric traditions refer to as the grace of God in meditation. And again, like why I think it's so important to kind of rephrase things in a practical manner. They they, they do happen automatically, and it's kind of fucking crazy. But when you really look at what's going on, you are you are cultivating energy and putting in the reps, and each time you return back to the breath or return back to the technique, you are um, interrupting your habits, creating space. You're creating space. And as you create more space, concentration might arise. And you just keep on coming back. In the In the very first bits of concentration, that concentration is a little shaky. You know, when you first feel that concentration come, there's often, you know, if, 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 even if you've experienced it before, kind of this like, oh, wow. And that, oh, wow, can turn into this, these thought process that'll pull you right out of the concentration. You just keep coming back over and over again. Concentration becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. It grows. One pointedness becomes developed. When one pointedness becomes developed, the mind can enter certain trance states. And these trance states, um, can be very valuable for us in order to again create space with our habits when our mind is truly one pointed truly one pointed the the the, the presence of our thought the un- undercurrent of thought and emotions the quality of that undercurrent changes quite a bit and when we kind of it it, it, it gives us this unique opportunity to experience a different state of mind than the one that we we have been experiencing for most of our lives. And that experience can be quite altering to ourselves. And then again, but it's the same thing, you know, as the concentration turns into more one-pointedness and the one-pointedness gives way to these trance states, there is again a shakiness. And again, that kind of like excitement that can happen can pull us right out again. And again, we just return back. But that process completely automatic completely mm-hmm. fucking automatic well that's why i think you know even even having a, the idea of a trance state you know that's a state of being and then having that in your mind is like okay well when i'm really concentrated i'll be in a trance state having this thing that you're pointing to and thinking about as the end goal quote unquote can stop you from getting to these states and you know there there is an endless depth to meditation um prior to this arisal arising arisal arising of these of these trans states where where you just said you know you'll have these moments where you're excited because you experienced a moment of concentration another layer deeper is you noticing that you're getting excited and that your thought about the state is pulling you out of the state and then you just come back right and there's there's there is this depth to wow i think about my experience so much more than just experience it it's bonkers it's wild and having that revealed to you and peeling back some of those layers it can take a long time it can take quite a while and 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 it's very very easy to delude yourself into thinking that you're not thinking which is itself a thought (laughs) yes yes i think you know it, it makes me think of um 
like the experiments that humans have done with um, mice and other kinds of creatures, unfortunately, for better or for worse, the you know where they'll they'll be trained with either the application of pain or pleasure to react in a certain way uh, to something. And if we can imagine that they're not consciously considering, there's not conscious conscious thought like, oh, I should not do this thing because it is bad. It's more just that there is this learned stimulation from the application of pain or pleasure. And what what starts to happen in this process is the the the, the flow of the habits kind of kind of kind of kind of reverses itself because when we're kind of at these edge of these states in meditation, the presence of these thoughts and this this metacognizing of what's going on in ourselves and this like self narrative that's happening actually suddenly flips on its head and it we we kind of see it as painful and uncomfortable. And whether you are consciously thinking to yourself, ah, you know, this these these thoughts about other states are pulling me out of this state and, and things like that. You are learning. You are learning. It is it, there is transformation that's happening, whether it's a conscious process or not. And again, you know, that, that that is this this kind of grace that a lot of these traditions refer to, where this transformation can happen without any type of uh, intentional conscious manipulation of ourselves. So long as we follow the, the practice. And we consistently follow the practice. This transformation will happen without without anything else required. And I think that ultimately what you just said, without anything else required, is something that we need we need to hear. Right? We need we need to have as a reminder, um, even though we just explored the nuances, what happens within your mind in this very very simple practice. I think ultimately what I want to keep coming back to when I talk about meditation is the fact that it is a simple practice, despite the fact of it having infinite depth, because your mind and the nature of your experience itself has infinite depth. But the practice itself, the process itself is inherently simple. And I think that's, you know, if we were going to kind of wrap on a subject, that would be, you know, despite the the sort of mystical, esoteric, dogmatic structures that can usually be built around it, despite the tendency towards ascribe, ascribing some of these states of being to divinity or, or grace from an external divine source, and despite the, the sort of complicated science that can kind of surround meditation, meditation ultimately is a simple practice that does not require any insane amounts of force effort or spiritual ritual around it yeah exactly anthony yeah and i think that's a, a really wonderful kind of sum of what we just discussed you know i, I think that and f for me like i it, it has become something that i've keep on reestablishing the intention to interweave into my life. And I think that like a lot of, a lot of things, it can be something that becomes compartmentalized. And that makes sense because a lot of our activities are compartmentalized, you know, um, for example, working out, right? 
most of us are not going to the gym and then the rest of our day that we're not at the gym, like constantly just thinking about how we could be working out in this moment and like, I don't know, sprinting upstairs when we see a flight of stairs and doing squats as we walk, you know. Which or I like, used to do, by the way, all of that. That was like when I was yeah. a personal trainer, that was, that was literally, it was like if yeah. I wasn't doing something related to fitness, I was not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I did that. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, I, I figured it would be a suitable example for you, Anthony. Yeah. Um, the, and that's just it. Like, but, but, but meditation is something that I feel is so much more accessible when it's not something that we compartmentalize. When it's just something that you just kind of sit on your ass and do, you know, if, uh, at this time or that time for X amount of time. It can it can become really easy to fall into this kind of ritualistic manner of practicing it or just kind of falling off the boat like we do with many other habits. But if it can be something that we just remember, like, oh, like I'm sitting on the subway right now, maybe I'll just pay attention to my breath or I'm having a conversation with somebody like maybe I'm just going to feel the way that I'm feeling during this conversation. Pay attention to that. And these little ways that we can weave that into our lives become this powerful force for change and a lot of the time it, it doesn't really the reason i like it so much is because a lot of the time it really doesn't take that much effort you know we all have a few minutes here and there and it can almost be something kind of fun to do like make it a little bit of a game with yourself like you're just chilling there you're kind of bored like oh yeah whatever i'll i'll um kind of examine these feelings that are happening on my finger right now. You know, there's little little things that we can do. Hmm. So would you say that you would almost recommend more than making it a formal practice or this idea of like you're doing this because it's good for you to kind of make the process of meditation something that can enter in and out of your life in, in, in any moment? That's a good question, Anthony. I think that, and I, I really, my, 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 my thoughts around this are, are very fluid, but I, I really do think that to a certain extent, we often need to define what, what we want out of meditation. Mm. And for a lot of us, there are individuals who are not interested in uh, some kind of great change within ourselves and just want be more concentrated or more relaxed or things like that. And there are practices which are more suited to cultivating those characteristics and those qualities. But for me, when it comes to um, really expanding mindfulness and meditation in a more uh, uh, kind of life affecting way across the board, I think that it's really important that there are two things that happen. One is that we, set some time in our day in order to cultivate the habit and that could even just be five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the evening or even less mm -hmm. just set a little time aside consciously to help build the habit and for the rest of the day see how often you can remember see how mm -hmm. often you can remember to practice i i would have to agree i mean i found that while i inject moments of my day with that presence and that mindfulness and that that sort of self-awareness of my own as I'm going through things, I can only really do that in alignment with a regular practice where that's all I'm doing. Like putting the 10, and, I, and for me, it's I do 10 minutes and that's it. 
that's what I'm uh, willing to do without feeling like, you know, there, there's that old saying where it's like, you should meditate for half an hour, unless you're busy, then you should meditate for an hour. But for me, 10 minutes of focused, concentrated, concentrating <laughs> is, is my, my minimal effective dose to have the context set. And then throughout my day, I try to carry that with me, but without that semi-formal practice, I will say, I find it harder to either A, remember to sort of access these states of presence and B, even really remember what it feels like without the, without, you know, out of context, right? So I think, you know, if you are going to recommend to someone, because some, some people who are going to listen to this will actually listen all, to, all the way to the end and have never meditated before. So if you are going to make meditation radically accessible to someone who has never done it before, where, where do they start? What's their point A? What's the first step on their path? Bro, amazing question. And first of all, to clarify, when I started meditating, I started with a 30-day 30, 30 retreat. I could not sit three minutes. Maybe it was two or three minutes. My body would become so agitated. My mind would become so agitated. I would straight up get up and leave the meditation area for almost the entire 30 days. There was one moment in which I meditated longer, which was super cool. The rest of those times, I was so agitated I couldn't sit. <laughs> and what my my first ever teacher taught me um, or taught to the group was that he said, from the moment you wake up in the morning to the moment you lose consciousness at night, if you lose consciousness at night, be with your breath. And I kind of made that my goal. And that was what ended up transforming it transformed me tremendously. And so for those who have never worked with, with meditation before and are interested in starting, for me, I think that the breath is a phenomenal entry point. The breath has a lot of uh, qualities which make it a, a really valuable object of meditation. It's always with you. It reflects your state of mind. Um, you know, there are subtle changes in the breath when we're thinking or having feelings. And you can think, oh, when you get super mad or super sad, like the canter and the depth of your breath changes very noticeably. So it reflects the state of mind. And um, it can also be very, very, very subtle or very, 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 very noticeable. So even if you're in a place where you're extremely distracted and you, you have a lot of trouble focusing on anything, the breath will still be accessible to you, can still be accessible to you. So, you know, I, I I really do think starting there can be a really valuable thing. And, and, and a little bit of an aside here, if you are a very anxious individual, if you are a very, very anxious individual, I do not recommend starting with the breath. I recommend actually starting with feeling physical sensations instead, mm -hmm. such as in your extremities, starting with the experience of the sensations in your extremities, and then gradually moving to the breath. It can actually be quite helpful to start experiencing the sensations in your hands and then move your awareness up your arms, up your neck, up to the touch of your breath, rather than just starting immediately on the touch of the breath. For some reason, focusing on the breath can can sometimes encourage anxiety um, and also facial tension. So usually, never meditated before, stretch your body a bit. Body's going to have plenty of tension, you know. Let, let yourself kind of explore your body, you know, roll your shoulders, you know, exercise your face, 
move your hands. Just kind of let yourself move. Take some time to experience the body and check in with yourself like that. Then before you even practice the technique, be resistant because we often don't give ourselves that opportunity, right, man? Like we don't, we don't let ourselves just sit with our thoughts and see what comes up. And I know for me, I sit in some silence. Gosh, I have so many things coming up about work and about relationships and things I have to do. And it can be really nice to kind of let that stuff filter through, process it, think about some of it, engage with it a bit. Um, give, give yourself some time to work through that. Maybe after a few minutes of doing that, then you can find yourself a nice relaxed position. For those of us who are not comfortable sitting on the floor, just use a chair. The, the only re the, 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 again, the practical reason behind these knotted up, you know, floor asanas are because they're very stable so that when you do enter a trance like state in meditation, the body will remain upright. But, you know, it took literally years for me to be able to sit comfortably on the floor and I still can't sometimes. So just use a fucking chair. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, so like I'm sitting in a chair with a bit of a back now and I'll just lean a bit against the back. That's okay. As long as the body is mostly upright. And then just And while that went completely silent, it was almost perfect timing. Greg's camera froze in that moment and he got cut off, unfortunately. Maybe his device died or something, but he froze in this perfect meditative position. <laughs> so you got you got cut off right as you, you said, and then just and then your camera froze completely. And it was <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, that is that is technically exactly what you do when you meditate. <laughs> Yeah, we so, should we should leave it at that, huh? Oh, I, I think so. So, Greg, thank you so much for coming on, for giving us so much insight into a the nature of meditation, for demystifying it, and for uh, you know, as you put it, making meditation radically accessible for everyone. I really think this is a practice that is for everyone, and I'm really grateful for for you as a person, for the work that you've done, and for the insights that you shared on this podcast. It was really really nice talking to you. You too, Anthony. I, I so appreciate it. And I think these, these types of sharings and discussions and communication are so important, so important. You know, everybody, everybody has something to share and it's just really interesting. You know, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. And then for anyone who's listening to these podcasts on Spotify, these are recorded live on nofilter.net, which is a live inter interactive streaming platform where you can come on and ask questions in real time and even knock and request to join the stream yourself on video. So if you ever want to see one of these podcasts live in real time and interact with me and whatever guests I have on, like if you wanted to talk to Greg and ask him a specific question about meditation, then go to nofilter.net and find my upcoming streams where you can watch them live. Thank you so much for listening to Set the Tone today with myself and Greg, hopefully Greg. You can jump onto another one of these because I feel like we just barely scratched the surface. Again, simple practice, but so in-depth and so complex at the same time. But thank you so much for coming on and, and talking with me, man. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Anthony. The same for me, and I am really looking forward to the next time. Awesome. Until next time, guys.